0: going out each Sunday and uh, almost got ran over by one of them as I stood up. Am I on guys? All right. I'm going <clears> to <throat> invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I uh, just want to encourage you as a, our church here, as the church here, to, to be in prayer for uh, the donors. I think they were mentioned earlier. Susan's father passed away. If you don't know them, Dave and Susan just came back from the mission field, they've been in India for uh, six, seven years, something like that, and her father just passed away, that service will be tomorrow over in Hampton Roads, and then also Vicky's mother, I believe the memorial service for her is tomorrow, is that right? It's Thanksgiving Day, okay? But we want to pray for them. Obviously, with this being holiday week, uh, anytime, especially anyone who's lost a loved one this year, this is always that season of the year where really those memories begin to just roll back and emotions really can get the best of us. So let's be praying for those who have had uh, the loss of loved ones uh, this year. You've probably heard of Matthew Henry. If you've been a Christian for uh, any amount of time at all, you've probably heard of Matthew Henry. In fact... Uh, he's most known for, at least in today's culture, he's most known for his commentary. Probably the first commentary I was ever given uh, when I was uh, being called to, to, to be a pastor, to preach, was Matthew Henry's commentary. And so that's probably what he's best and most known for today. But back in his lifetime, during his lifetime, he was known for his gratitude. He was a, a preacher, a scholar, but he was a man known for being grateful and thankful to God for all of the things he had in his life. And in fact, one particular instance that really highlights the, the, the amount of gratitude and his, the level of thankfulness he had in his heart was one evening he was walking down the street and he was robbed. Violently robbed by some thieves. And so later that evening, he got to his house and he took his journal out, which was part of his uh, practice, daily practice, of just kind of jotting down the, the things going through his mind, what's gone through his day, just probably prayer journaling, uh, just thanking the Lord and praying for certain things. And so there in his journal, he wrote this It says, I'm thankful that during these years, I've never been robbed until now. Also, even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they took all I had, it was not much. Finally, he said, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed, not I who, who robbed. It's not I, or it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. When you think about thankfulness, you think about gratitude, it really is all about one's perspective of life how you view life and what you view life through the lens that you use. It's been said that the more we look for the mercies of life, the more of them we will see. You see, blessings brighten when we count them because it's out of the determination of our hearts that our eyes are able to see what we need to see and what we can be grateful for. I mean, think about this. If you want to be gloomy, there's gloom enough to keep you blue in life, right? But if you want to be happy, if you want to be happy and excited and and, and joyful, there's gleam enough to keep you glad in life. There's always something to find the positive in. So it's better to lose count while counting and naming your blessings than to lose your blessings by counting your troubles. It comes back to the perspective of our hearts. For Matthew Henry, That evening, he looked at the horrific events that had happened and transpired in his life, and he found something to thank God for. And on this Sunday morning, just before Thanksgiving, what is it that we can be thankful for in our lives? I want to take just a couple minutes, and and if you will, if you want to, share with us what you're thankful for. What can you praise God for this morning? Health? Family? Salvation? breathing eternal life breathing eternal life church, <laughs> eternal life. church. The. <laughs> coffee opportunities for more coffee maybe <laughs> a job yes absolutely there's something to be thankful for in life right in the worst of days, in the worst of seasons of life, and, and really if you look at your life, your life's no different like any, than anyone else's. We go through seasons of ups and downs. Sometimes it seems more difficult, more uh, troublesome than others. But even in the most troubled times and even on the, in the best of times, there's always something to praise God for. You're still alive. That's what Matthew Henry is saying is, though they robbed me, though they took everything I have, I'm still Alive. I'm still here. And even better than that, I praise God that He's changed my life. So I'm not the Rob err. I'm the Rob E, the one who's been robbed. So we praise God for the things and the blessings he has given to us and what he's doing in our lives. And so if you got your place there in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, let me just kind of set the stage. We're walking verse by verse through this chapter over these past uh, two Sundays, and we're going to conclude this chapter this morning. As you've been with us these past two Sundays, you know that Thessalonians, first and 2 Thessalonians, are epistles, letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church there in Thessalonica. And this is a church that he knew very, very well. It was he and Silas and Timothy who had gone there and planted the gospel in the lives of those people in Thessalonica. He had led them to faith in Jesus Christ. He had established them in their faith and a church was birthed there in Thessalonica. And so now he uh, later is writing back to this church to encourage, to equip, to train, to strengthen the believers there in this church in the city of Thessalonica. And in doing so, he begins this first letter in the first chapter showing and bestowing his gratitude to the Lord for the work of God in the lives which was so evident There in these believers. And so we've spent the last two Sundays looking at Paul's thankfulness for the church. And that's how he began. He began thanking God for this church, for these believers. And we learned there a couple Sundays ago that the active faith and love and hope that these believers demonstrated were, were, were incredible examples to others, to spur them on in their faith, to spur others on toward greater sanctification. We also learned that the, this model lifestyle was a way to rebuke and to correct the lives of those who are not living like they should, who are walking at a guilty distance. And then this past Sunday, we looked at Paul's thankfulness for the gospel. I mean, the reason these believers had transformed lives was because the gospel had transformed them. They didn't come in with some sort of self-help Uh, theology They came preaching Christ and Christ crucified. And the gospel is what changed these men and women and children's lives. And so Paul expresses his gratitude for the gospel. And because it's in the gospel, we see the love of God, the pursuit of God, and the earnestness of God as it works to bring men, women, boys, and girls into relationship with Jesus. This morning, we're going to take a step further and look at a third component of Paul's thankfulness as he's thankful, not just for the church, not just for the gospel, but he's now thankful for the mission that these Thessalonians are joining in. They weren't just uh, followers who, who had accepted the gospel and kind of set around. No, they joined in the mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, look with me there. Let's read verses 6 through 10 this morning. Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the testimony of these believers in this city Lord, how they had received the gospel into their life, it transformed their lives in every way. Lord, they they no longer live for sin, they no longer live for idols, they no longer live for self. They now are pursuing Christ, and in that pursuit, they are seeking to reach as many people with the gospel as they possibly can. Lord, I pray this morning, in this season of thankfulness, As we look at all the things in our life that we should and need to be grateful for, help us to remember that we ought to be grateful for the church, for the gospel, and for the mission you've called us to as your children. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read this first chapter, we've read all ten verses now over the last three Sundays. There's no doubt, as you read it, that Paul believed these believers to be Christians he was no doubt in his mind of their conversion to Christ I mean he had seen the transformation took place in them he had seen them awaken from death to Jesus. Life in Jesus. He had seen them forsake their sin, to forsake themselves and and their sinful selves, and to turn to Christ and grab hold of Jesus. They had walked away from their idolatries, he says there in verse 10, and now they're holding firmly to the Lord, even in the face of persecution. It was not easy for these believers in Thessalonica to be a follower of Jesus, much less is it easy for us today to be a follower of Jesus because that means you've got to forsake sin, forsake self, forsake the idolatrous things of this world, and firmly hold on to Jesus. And So as great as the evidence of their confession, conversion was, there was even more to behold. You see, these Thessalonian believers... We're now joining Paul in the mission of Christ. These believers in Thessalonica understood the Great Commission mandate that Jesus gave the church. The mandate to take upon themselves the responsibility to make disciples of people who are around them, in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their city, in their region where they live, and even globally taking the gospel all around the world. They joyfully engaged themselves into this work, following the example of what they had seen in Paul and Silas and Timothy. That's what he says here. He says, you've joined in this. You're following the example of Christ, and you're following our example as well. These were Christians who had made a huge difference in the lives of others because Jesus had made a huge difference in their life. They had joined Paul in the mission. That begs a question for us this morning. What is the mission for the local church? What is our mission? What is it, what is it that we're to be about? What is our purpose? What is the reason for our existence? If we were to look at the Bible, if we look at the words of Jesus and the apostles, we clearly see that the mission of the church is to share the message of salvation with everyone in our world who is lost and dead in sin and trespasses. We're to share the gospel with people. And before you begin to perhaps explain away this mission that we have as followers of Jesus, or to explain away the seriousness of this mission, let me remind you that all four gospels, including in the book of Acts, all give us a great commission mandate. Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Acts one eight: you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth. There's no Uh, there's no suggestion there. There's no if you want to there. It is a great commission mandate to make disciples, to be a witness for Jesus Christ here and there. So this responsibility... Is a big responsibility. It's not to be relegated to pastors and leaders of the church. When Jesus is speaking there, giving this great commission mandate, he's speaking to the church, not just to the 12 apostles. He's speaking to everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, it is the responsibility, and let me say this morning, it is the privilege of every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ to share the message of salvation. You see, you can reach people that I could never reach. You have relationships that I'll never have. You have relationships that your small group leader will never have. You are the one to be the messenger, the missionary, to go to your circles of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share it with them. It's the responsibility and it's the privilege of all of us to engage in the mission. Paul here, as he opens up this letter, he commends this church for their evangelical engagement of the lost people in their city, but not just their city, in their region as well. He says, you've been witnesses in Macedonia, which is where we are, or where you are in the city of Thessalonica. But you're also, because Paul probably is writing from the city of Corinth. He's in Achaia. He's in the southern part of Greece. He says, everywhere I go here, I hear about what you're doing there and how you're spreading the gospel. You have engaged people with the gospel of Jesus Christ here as well as there. And he's thankful for their mission engagement. This morning... As we look at this passage, as we think about what it means to be thankful, we can be thankful for at least three reasons when it comes to the mission. And we find them here in this text this morning. We can be thankful for the mission because, number one, lives are transformed. Lives are transformed. Look there again in verse 6. Paul says, you guys, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The word translated imitator in the English, here in the English Standard Version, is the Greek word mimitase, is the word from which our English term mimic is derived. It's the idea of, of being in an exact replication, it's to look like, to talk like, to act like someone else. Paul here is thanking the Lord because these Thessalonians were not believers just in name only. you ever met a Christian who, who's a Christian in name only? You really get around them. You really begin to talk with them. You really begin to, to rub shoulders your life with their life. You begin to see that they're not a Christian other than a name. It's no, no deeper than surface level. But not so with these Thessalonians. They hadn't just given lip service to Jesus. They had surrendered their entire lives to him. And the result of that was a complete transformation in their lifestyle, which was clearly evident to the Apostle Paul. Their lives had been changed. They mimicked, they imitated the life and the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And so when Paul and Silas and Timothy had shared the gospel with these, these Thessalonians... We saw last week that as Paul and these men are sharing the gospel, they shared with full assurance, complete assurance, that it was the power of God unto salvation. Paul didn't come in there and and preach a, a weak gospel. He didn't come in there and share a message that he hoped was true. No, Paul came in there with full conviction, full assurance, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. They felt the earnestness of God as the Holy Spirit moved through their preaching, moved through their teaching, reaching these people's lives. They knew that it was the only hope for the Thessalonians for this reason they preach the gospel rather than anything else there's a lot of organizations in the world that do a lot of good things but no organization no philosophy no teaching has the power to literally transform a person's life from the inside out other than the gospel of Jesus Christ do you believe that church? Paul and these men believed it. They staked their lives upon it, and they believed it because it had transformed them. And the reason today we can preach and teach with full assurance, full conviction, is because we have had our lives transformed. And this morning, if you're wavering in that, if you're wondering, I don't know if the gospel really can change a person's life, you probably don't believe it because you've never experienced it. It's nothing more than theory on a page. But it wasn't theory for these men. It was a lifestyle. Because their lives had been changed. So these men came to Thessalonica with the gospel. Preaching Jesus and Him crucified. They came with a simple message of repentance and faith. They came pointing to Jesus Christ. You see, they didn't come to this city with an economic plan, some sort of economic message, looking at the surroundings and the, and, the, and the status of the citizens of this city and saying, hey, we are here to help. Here, here's a way for you to get out of debt. Here's a way for you to pull yourselves up and get out of this economic mess. No, it came with the gospel. They didn't come with a message of greater educational opportunities. As good as education is, I'm an advocate for education. I've spent a vast majority of my life in education. Never want to go back there, praise the Lord, Right? Been there, done that, I have the t-shirt. It's funny, you do all that, you get the degrees, you put them on the wall, and they, what do they do? They collect dust, right? Hopefully they, you learn something, but they collect dust. I'm for education, but education by itself cannot change a person's life. Paul didn't come preaching an educational message Nor did he come with an appeal for more religious commitment. If you just lean in more, if you just try harder, if you're just more committed to the idolatry in your life, the pagans in your life, then surely things will work out. That's not what they came preaching. They came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Likewise, the only hope for those in our community today is not economics, it's not education, it's not religion. It's Jesus. You see, the only hope for those in our community, those in our nation, those around the world, is the gospel. Today, we can throw all the money there is at the problems plaguing our society. But listen to this. They will never touch the heart of the problems because it's the human heart that is at the heart of our problems. And you can't change a human heart By changing the surface, you have to get under the skin. You've got to go down deep into a person's life and be transformed from the inside out. And the only thing that can do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? Paul came preaching the gospel. He came with a message from the word of God. In fact, Paul wrote to the church there in Ephesus and he lays out the theology of the gospel when he told them in Matthew or Ephesians chapter 2 that man is dead in trespasses and sin. We need to be reminded this morning that men, women, boys and girls are born with a sin. Nature is an innate within them. They are cut off from God because of sin. He goes on to expound that in verse 12 of Ephesians 2, that we are all cut off from God. In other words, mankind, you and I, are lost and without hope in this life. But it's here that the goodness of God, the mercy of God, steps into the picture with one of those phrases, but God. All throughout Scripture you see this, where it's doom and gloom. You begin to look at the reality of what life is like in this sinful world. And it looks like there is no hope. And then all of a sudden, you're smacked in the face with the goodness of God where He steps in. Paul says here in Ephesians 2, verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now... In Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. see, God the Father, through the sacrifice of God the Son, made a way. He transformed the lives of these Thessalonians, not through education, not through economics, not through religion, not through anything that this world has to offer. He transformed their lives through the power of the gospel. Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 2.19. So then, talking about this transformation, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Once you were without hope, once you were cut off, now you're no longer cut off. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer an alien to God. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. We call you family now because of the gospel. So the lost was found. The sinner was Became a saint. This separated from God by his sin is now adopted and brought near by the blood of Christ. And today we can and today we should be thankful for the mission. Because the gospel is the power of God that transforms lives. And we have an opportunity to join God in his mission of taking that gospel to the lives of people. Through it. Think about this. I mean if you want something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season, listen to this. Through the gospel we get to see our families, we get to see our friends, we get to see the coworkers we work with, our neighbors in our streets, we get to see the acquaintances in our lives leave their lives of sin in the rearview mirror as they get on the highway of holiness with Jesus and they have their lives transformed. How does that happen? It happens when you and I take the gospel, engage in this mission and share it with them. Aren't you grateful for that? We have a God who's in the business of transforming the lives of people. So brothers and sisters this morning, I'm thankful for the gospel. If you won't get excited about it, I will this morning because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone and for everyone who believes. And I'm thankful this morning for the mission of this gospel because it's through the mission that we get to see transformation take place. There's a second reason that we can be thankful for the mission we're thankful because the gospel is sent out. The gospel sent out. Look at verse 7. He says, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You see how radically transforming the gospel was in in their lives? You see how they were once haters of God, enemies, enemies of God, and now just like the Apostle Paul, they're the greatest proponents of the gospel. They once refused it, they once rejected it, they once fought against it, they once wanted nothing to do with it. Now all they can do is take it and share it with the people around them. It radically transformed their lives. So much so that they became an example, Paul says, to other believers. This word here speaks of an exact reproduction or a type of. They became an an exact reproduction of the apostle Paul and how he is passionate about the mission of the gospel. and So Paul here commended them for becoming a living blueprint for others to follow. This morning, can you say that of yourself? That my life and the way I pursue Jesus, the way I serve Jesus, the way I share Jesus with others is an exact blueprint of how a Christian ought to live their life. We ought to be able to say that. That when people see me, they see someone they should be able to follow. It's like the Apostle Paul says, you follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul wasn't being arrogant. Paul wasn't being being, a Uh, uh, an overstater. He was saying, I'm following Jesus with everything in my life, and so as you follow me, you're following Jesus. Our lives ought to be able to be mimicked and and followed as an example just like that. We ought to be like these Thessalonians, a walking, breathing, living blueprint of what it means to live for Jesus and to be on His mission. Notice the scope of this blueprint. Verse 7 points out that they influenced all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I mentioned earlier, these are regions. Macedonia is in the northern part of the Greece area. Achaia is in the southern portion of the Greece area. And so, biblically, if you look at your maps, hopefully you've got a Bible with maps, you look there and you'll see, up in the northern part, there's cities like Thessalonica and Philippi. And the southern part, you've got the cities of Corinth and, and Athens and others. All of these regions, all the areas in these regions had been influenced by the Thessalonians. They preached the gospel to their brothers, their brethren in Greece. In addition, their gospel, verse 8 tells us, went everywhere. It sounded forth, it blasted forth in a bold, courageous way through those who had, reached, who had been reached and discipled. There in the city of Thessalonica. That city was a trade town. It was a great opportunity for the gospel to, to flourish to all places. And so as travelers came through the city, maybe they sat down and they're doing business as they would always do business. But now they're doing business with the Father of Jesus. And not just a transaction is taking place where money's being exchanged. But as they're exchanging money, the gospel is being exchanged. And that person's coming to faith in Jesus. And perhaps they stay there for a few days. And it wasn't just, here's a gospel track, brother, I'm going to pray for you. It was more of, hey, you come eat, you spend time with my family. And there's a discipleship taking place so that when that money or, or that business person now travels on to continue to make money in another city, he, she takes the gospel with them. So it's spreading all over the Roman Empire. It blasted forth, Paul says, preaching the gospel everywhere. It's good news. The gospel is good news. It's exciting news. What is the gospel? It's a message of hope and life. It's a message of love, how God loves you and I. It's a transforming message that can be kept or cannot be kept to yourself. You see, once you've tasted the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you want others to taste it too. I'm not a big Lover of eating off someone else's plate or drinking after you. So if we ever go to dinner together, you don't have to worry about me climbing over into your plate or drinking your drink. That's not going to happen. My wife, though, she is home with our three year old who's sick, and now Kara's feeling a little down as well. But when we're out to dinner, and maybe we're at a steakhouse or whatever, and she's eating, she always gets a filet. So she's eating her filet. She's like, oh, this is so good. You want a piece? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't really want a piece. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. Yes, I eat after my kids, which is nasty. Mainly that's more because I just hate to waste food, and so I eat their food because I feel like it's not a waste if somebody eats it. But but she's always wanting me to eat her food with her. I'm like, you eat your food. You do it. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you like to share. Why is it, though, when we'll do things like that, but when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ that has transformed your life, it is like pulling teeth for you to open your mouth and share with somebody. Man, you'll, you'll hear of a good deal at the store. Hey, Black Friday's coming up. You heard about these, these? Maybe you're already talking about it, planning out your, your, your thing, and you're sharing, everyone, sharing with everyone else the, 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 the deals that you've heard about or you've heard about this car or whatever it may be. We hear about good things in life, and our natural tendency is to go to someone and tell them about those good things. Why is it when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ that our lips are sealed tight? When we have the only message that can transform a person's life and you won't share it, you'll live next to a person for 20 years and not one time tell them about your testimony. Never one time invite them to church. How can it be good news to you if you won't share that good news with someone else? You see, I believe that once you taste the goodness of God, you can't keep it to yourself. Once you experience the grace of Jesus, which exposes all of your sin, and yet at the same time, warmly accepts you and embraces you as a friend, as a, as a child of God now, you can't help but tell others. Remember the woman in the well in John chapter 4. Jesus goes to this well. His disciples go into the city of Sychar, and he sets there because he knows this woman's going to come. This woman who's had a, a, a just a... Uh, a very sinful lifestyle. She's been married multiple times. She's living with a guy now. She's an outsider even in a, in a, in a pagan culture. That's why she comes to the well by herself. Jesus has this conversation with her. And through this conversation, which becomes a religious conversation, she is beginning to be exposed even to her own sin. And Jesus begins to point out that he knows her life. He knows what she's like. And what is her response to him? It's not to run away. She experienced the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. She goes into the city to a bunch of people who don't even like her. And she says, I want you to come see a guy who told me everything about my life. But he embraced me. You see, I can't understand how we can experience the good news of Jesus and never share the good news with someone else. And So this morning, Paul thanks the Lord for, the mas- for these Thessalonians in Macedonia who had embraced the gospel, and because of them embracing it, it is now being sent out everywhere because they couldn't hold it in. This morning, I believe if you can hold it in, you haven't met the gospel of Jesus Christ. You haven't met the Jesus of this Bible. You haven't met the, the life-transforming power that these Thessalonians experience. There's something amiss in your spiritual walk. If you can take the gospel and hold it in and keep it for yourselves, we're not to do that. There's a third thing this morning that we can be thankful for in this mission. That is, partnerships are developed. Partnerships are developed. One of the things that I have um, come to know, I think one of the reasons maybe, this is not an excuse by any stretch of the imagination, but there are some things that affect perhaps why we don't share. And maybe one of those is we're just overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of this responsibility. When you think about, what, 7 billion or so people in the world and... and um, that weight is laid upon your shoulders, and maybe you're, you're the type of person when, when you begin to, to, to feel the weight of that, you just sit down and do nothing. You're just like, oh, I can't do anything, so I'm, I, I can't do it all, so I'm not going to do anything. Maybe that's where some people are, I don't know. But the beauty of this passage and the beauty of this, this gratitude for the mission is that Jesus doesn't call us to do it by ourselves, isolated, individually. He calls us to do this corporately together. And so this idea of partnerships being developed is something to be grateful for. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, Paul here is talking about all those people who have where he goes to a city, goes there to, to minister, to preach the gospel, and he finds the, the Thessalonians' message has already gotten there. And they testify about how the Thessalonians have testified about Paul, and Paul's preaching, and so what, is, what we see here is this partnerships. Paul's doing this mission. He's got Silas and Timothy with him. There's others doing the missions. But as he preaches the gospel, as churches are developed, there's more and more partnerships that come into play here. These Thessalonians became partners with this mission team in this gospel work. And so gospel partnerships are critical to the advancement of God's kingdom. You remember earlier I said that it's the responsibility of each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ to be an evangelist. We all bear the responsibility. We all have the privilege of sharing in this gospel work. But it's not just a responsibility of individuals, not the responsibility of pastors and small group leaders for sure. In fact, you can't claim uh, your ministry on a committee or a ministry team or anything like that, Your, your involvement in the gospel. You can't say, well, pastor, I'm doing X. I don't need to engage in the gospel. No, all of us are responsible. You can't say my work in the church is the grounds committee. I'm good at raking leaves. I'm good at uh, fixing stuff up. I serve on a kitchen team. I'm good at making Wednesday night meals. Or I'm good behind the scenes. No, all of us have a responsibility to open our mouths, share the gospel with people around us, and minister to them. You can't relegate it to just a few people. It's all of our responsibility and listen to this it's going to take all of us to accomplish the great commission again there's seven billion people or so in the world last year ago september when we were going through uh, that series called three circles where i was trying to teach you how to share the gospel simply using a, a diagram of three circles god's design gospel and um um that other third third circle You ever have those moments where you can't think because your your mind's going too fast? Anyway, we're showing you how to share the gospel. And so for three weeks, I I told you how we can reach the 20,000 plus lost and unchurched people in our community. If our statistics from our North American Mission Board are correct, 75% of North Americans are lost. That means in Powhatan, there are 22,000 or so lost people right here living among us. And there's no possible way, even if all the churches banded together with every single pastor, and we went out and tried to do that, we couldn't. It would take us years, decades, centuries to reach even our own county. But I shared with you a way, a path. That each one of us, if we went out in this next year and we led two people to faith in Jesus Christ, discipled them so that they went and individually led two people, discipled them who led two people, discipled them, it would begin to exponentially grow so that between four and five years from now, we would have over 100% of our county statistically coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I think the number in year five would be like 162% of the people in our county would come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we would just open our mouth and share the gospel. That's all Jesus asks of you. It's not on your shoulders to make them believe. It's not on your shoulders to convince them. It's on your shoulders to be a witness of Jesus Christ. So we have a gospel mandate to reach the lost here as well as there. How do we do it? We do it cooperatively. We do it through partnerships. We do it as we lock arms together with other believers in other churches. We are a Southern Baptist church. That means that we don't We're not ruled by a denomination. This is not a top-down type leadership, but we fellowship with others in our convention of churches, and we cooperate together. And so today, there is somewhere around 45,000 other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, and we have locked arms together to take the gospel to Virginia, to America, and to the world. Through our partnership together, we support somewhere around 4,000 missionaries. We plant hundreds of churches annually throughout North America, working through our North American Mission Board. Together, cooperatively, locking arms together as churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. We send and support somewhere around 4,000 international missionaries who also work to plant churches globally, working through the International Mission Board. Every week, when you give to our budget here at our church, and you give to just the general giving of our our church, not a special mission offering or something like that, part of your offering, part of your tithe goes to support the cooperative efforts of our Southern Baptist Convention. Funding and and supplying our missionaries on the field. Funding and supplying church plants. Doing the work of the gospel here as well as there. When you give to special mission offerings like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is coming up, and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, those two offerings go to fund, they go directly to the field to fund the international efforts of our convention of churches and the North American efforts of our convention of churches. We are partnering together in the gospel work. So we're not in this mission alone. I was thinking about this the other day. Has God ever, man, I have preached a long time this morning. Has there ever been a time in scripture where God sent someone out by himself? I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I don't really know. So I'm racking my brain. Well, Abraham was called when he was haran and god told him to get up i want you to go to a place i'm not even going to tell you about and later it was canaan but who went with him his wife sarah sarai at the time and lot his nephew i was thinking of others you got moses and he uh uh obviously had a wife and a family and he went but when he got there his brother was his spokesperson right aaron so he wasn't by himself then I thought about Elijah. Elijah had this complex as the prophet of God. He thought he was all alone. Lord, I'm the only one who loves you. Lord, I'm the only one who believes you. Lord, I'm, I'm fighting against this wicked Ahab. It's woe is me, woe is me. What did God tell the prophet Elijah? Hey, buddy, I've got 7,000 others that haven't bowed the knee yet. You're not alone in this work. I can't think of a time in salvation history where God sent someone out Alone, Even in the the three years of Jesus' ministry here on earth, when he sent his disciples out, how did he send them? Two by two. They went out together. Paul and Barnabas were sent out. When Barnabas and Paul had their little disagreement, if you're reading with us devotionally, we read that this past week, what happened? Paul takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark. They go out in pairs, taking the gospel. They're not alone in this work. God is with us, obviously, so we're never alone from that standpoint. But many times, if not every time, there's a gospel partner who works along with us. And that's the case here in our text. So when we bring it home for ourselves, we are not alone in this work. As we've been saying in our state convention in recent days, we're not alone so that those who are lost in their sins are not alone. God sends us to them so that they can find a home in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we ought to praise God for the gospel partnerships that he gives us in this mission. I was, this past week, we were at our uh, annual state convention meetings and I was in a a room with some younger pastors and golly, I'm getting old because I'm the oldest guy in the room I think now. At 40, I'm no longer, but I still get invited to these young pastors' meetings, so it feeds my ego a little bit. I feel young. But I'm in this meeting, and, and these guys are talking about this question, should we continue in the Southern Baptist Convention? Is it worth it? And I just spoke up and said, absolutely, it's worth it. Man, we've got resources that are, that, that, that are not rivaled by any other denomination. We're effective in what we do, educationally, missionally, all of these things. It's worth it because we have partnerships where we can work together, and we can always do more together than we can do on our own. This morning you ought to praise God that we're part of a partnership in the work of the gospel. See, when you're you really have a heart for leading your coworker to to faith in Christ, you're not alone in that. Man, you got brothers and sisters sitting right here in Pews next to you who will commit to pray with you and to pray for you as you share. For whatever reason if you're not comfortable sharing yourself, you know what? You just say I'm going to have dinner t- I'm going to invite some of my coworkers over. Would you come with me? And you can say that to anybody. You can invite me. You can invite some of our other elders. And you just say, would you come with me? And make this kind of like Matthew or Levi when he hears of Jesus and he brings all of his tax collectors' buddies together and brings Jesus in there. You just do it like that. We're partnering in this work together to get the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. This morning, I want you to think about a couple things before we land the plane. Contemplate this with me, if you will. How did the gospel come to you? When you began to really understand how much Jesus loves you, what he did for you, what was the mode, what was the the way in which the gospel came to you? In other words, how did God get the life-transforming power of this good news to you? Who did he send on mission for your life? Perhaps you grew up in church, maybe it's this church, and you were just here routinely. It's through the regular preaching, teaching of the Word. It's sitting in Sunday school class, there's a child or small group as a, an adult or whatever it might have been, and through the, just the regular ministry of the church, the gospel was made clear to you. Perhaps for some, it was an evangelist. Maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade or some other crusade, a, a student ministry crusade, and there you got under the preaching of the Word of God, the gospel was made clear to you and you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a friend who just loved you enough to tell you his or her testimony. Maybe it was a coworker. Then you're sitting in the break room there at the factory and rather than just talking about uh, regular stuff, you got into a gospel conversation and your friend led you to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a neighbor who wasn't just satisfied with driving into the property and shutting the garage door and doing their life while neglecting the people who live all around them in this really small circle of influence. And so that neighbor befriended you, brought a pie over to your house or helped you when a tree fell down or whatever circumstances led to a conversation, but your neighbor loved you enough to share the good news with you. Who answered the mission call and brought the gospel to your life? And since you've become a father of Jesus, here's an even more difficult question to ask. Who have you taken the good news to and shared it with? Are you that good coworker, that neighbor, that friend? Are you the personal evangelist in someone's life? In other words, have you allowed your life to be on mission for Christ? I really believe this Thanksgiving season, we ought to thank God for the church. We ought to thank God for the gospel that we've been saved by. And we ought to thank God for this mission that we've been called to. We have an incredible and life-transforming message that we've been given. It doesn't matter what one's race is. It doesn't matter what your social economic status may be. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on. The gospel levels the ground for all of us so that all of us can come into relationship with the God who created us and loves us just as we are. So today, some of you, here's the response for all of us. There's some of you who today, this morning, may need to respond to this good news through repentance and faith. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, you may be religious. You may be active in our church. Your name may be on our roles. You could be a teacher of a small group. Let me just testify. If you don't know, I was a Sunday school teacher when I got saved. I led a seventh grade Sunday school class, seventh grade small group. And I was as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. I knew it the whole time, but I tried to be religious and to work it out. And finally came to the end of myself and got saved. And it's never been the same since so this morning, some of you, your response may need to be this, repentance and faith. Because you can't be on mission with God because this morning you are the mission of God. He's chasing after you. He's pursuing you because he loves you. And so this morning, what is it that would prevent you from responding to the gospel? Others this morning, you may need to join Christ in his mission because there's people all around your life that are perishing. All around you, people are perishing. It's the same for all of us. I mean, all around us, there are marriages that are failing. There are kids who are hurting. There are lost uh, people who are one, beat, one heartbeat away from a devil's hell. You never know what's going to happen. You never know when that car accident is going to take place, and you're going to be trans, trans, uh, uh, um, transposed from this life to the next. And so what is it that's kept you silent up till now? Why won't you share the gospel with them? Why won't you be a voice of truth? Why is it that you won't introduce them to Jesus? Sometimes it's just because we forget. We don't even think about it. We're all guilty. I was thinking this morning as I was looking over this, yesterday I was at a birthday party and I'm meeting these different guys and they don't go to church here. And and this guy's like, hey, how long have you been the pastor of Redland? I thought, you know, a little over three years. We got into a conversation about it and never one time did I think, Here's a guy asking me about Red Lane. The door couldn't have been any more open to invite him to our church. But what did I do? I never even thought about it. And this morning I'm like, you idiot. You were so busy having conversations that you didn't think about a real conversation. And doing one of the easiest things to do and simply invite a person to church. This morning, we all live in neighborhoods. We're filled with lost people, hurting people, people who are far from God. And so what is it it that we're doing about it? How is your mission in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school campus? I mean, are you praying for them? Are you at least praying for people? Perhaps today, that's where you need to begin And so maybe this morning, what our response needs to be as a church is that we just get on our knees and we get on our face and we say, God, give us our neighbors and give us our coworkers and give us the people I go to school with. And our response this morning is just to simply begin to pray. What do you need to do this morning? I've preached a long time, but I don't care. Because I think most of us are in these three Categories, You're lost this morning. You need to be saved. You're a Christian today, but you haven't shared your faith with anybody, perhaps in your entire Christian life. Today, you need to come and just say, Lord God, I have failed you miserably. Forgive me for that, and give me a heart for the people around me. Give me boldness to share. And we all can pray for people pray with me. Lord Jesus, this morning as we move into a time of response, my prayer is is that God, this next few minutes would be a holy time for us. As we think about all the things in our life that we can and should be grateful for and God, there's so many. We live in a wonderful country. We have incredible freedoms. Lord, our level of living is unparalleled anywhere in this world. The lifestyles that we live, even the poorest of our poor, are in the eyes of many in this world rich. We have much to be grateful for. But Lord, I believe as Christians in America today, we have forgotten to thank you for the wonderful beauty and blessing of the church, of the gospel that has redeemed us, and now the mission of taking that gospel to our neighbors as well as to the nations. Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts have been wrenched. And that God, in our hearts and in our minds, we have seen the faces of people we've neglected. They're living next door to us. They're in our families. God, perhaps they're even in our own homes. Where mom and dad have not even yet one time shared the gospel with their children. Oh God, how can we ever be faithful in this mission? If we're not first broken over the fact that we've ever even engaged it. So Lord, I pray for every Christian in this place this morning that we would... We would just feel the weight of this responsibility that we would feel the weight of this privilege and yet even in all of this we would experience the grace and the goodness of god because you never forsake us you're not going to beat us over the head lord you're going to lovingly lead us to where we need to be but it must begin with us saying god i have blown it forgive me and help me to do what i'm supposed to do To love my neighbor as I love myself. And I never want to go to hell. Which means I never should want my neighbor to go to hell either. Lord, this morning in this room, this many people, surely there's someone who's been riding the coattails of religion for a long time. God, perhaps they're clinging to some prayer they prayed as a child and and yet as they look back over their life, there's been no transformation. There's been no evidence of, of Christ being alive in them. In fact, they don't even think of Jesus. They don't think of your word. They care nothing for the things of God. They just come week after week or perhaps every once in a while to kind of stamp religion upon their schedule and go about their lives today Lord you are through the power of the Holy Spirit speaking into them Lord you're telling them that the greatest need in their life is not to pray for their neighbors, it's not to share the gospel with their neighbors, the greatest need in their life today is to respond personally to the gospel in repentance and faith so Lord I pray that people would give their lives to Jesus this morning God as a church burden us over the lostness all around us, may we be on our faces before you Crying out for our neighbors to come to faith in Jesus. Praying, asking you to, to give us opportunities to share and to serve and to care for them. To be a loving hand of Jesus. God, open our hearts this morning. We're thankful that you've opened yours to us. Now may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you